What's up, everyone? Welcome to BJJ and Brews. I'm your co-host, Noah John. You're listening to episode 71 of the podcast. And on today's episode, we talk with Carlos Diaz about refereeing. And to kind of set the stage, I want to play a clip from Flow Grappling. So this is from the Flow Grappling Instagram account. I want to give credit where credit's due. Please don't come after me, Flow Grappling, for doing this. This is just an excerpt from their build-up to Who's Number One, which recently featured Gordon Ryan against Wagner Rocha. Here, Gordon is talking about a possibility of grappling Cyborg and Cyborg wanting to do it under the ADCC rule set. Um, well, you know, Cyborg wanted to fight a Who's Number One but wanted to do ADCC rules, which, number one, doesn't make sense because Who's Number One is a tournament that's based around submission only, a submission only rule set. So that doesn't make much sense. Uh, additionally, the ADCC refs cannot get into the country right now because of the travel ban with COVID. So there's no one, no one, there's no one in the in the country that actually knows ADCC rules besides Carlos Diaz, Tom the Blast, and Mo Jasm. So unless Cyborg is comfortable with Tom the Blast, Mo Jasm, and Carlos Diaz refing that match. Uh, then we can't have that match until we can actually get an ADCC, ADCC judges and refs into the country. So when I heard this from Gordon, I immediately thought to reach out to Carlos and get his thoughts. And a week later, we sat down and recorded this conversation. So we cover a whole plethora of topics when it comes to refing, refing in general, and the specifics of ADCC, in addition to just some other awesome stories and, and experiences that Carlos shared. So without further ado, the ADCC ref, one of three people in the country right now that can actually ref a match between Gordon Ryan and Cyborg, Carlos Diaz. Carlos, welcome back to the podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me back, man. <laughs> well, um, I'm actually, I have a lot of questions for you because I reached out to you because we both saw that clip of Gordon right. on Flow Grappling. Talking about a match with Cyborg potentially, talking about ADCC rule, ADCC rule set, and he mentioned there's not even a handful, less than a handful of yeah. people in the United States because currently people came from Finland can't come over. Right. Um, That's I, I like that you said that because a lot of people don't know that most of the guys that um, that really have been around for a long time they are from Finland. From Finland. Yeah. And. There's only a, uh, a select number of people that that understand the rule set. And he mentioned your name. And I was like, holy shit, I know that name. <laughs> so yeah. um, I want to get to the ADCC part. But you said, let's talk about refing. And, and in my mind, I was like, yeah, I've grappled a little bit now. I know the rule sets to a little de degree. But if you ask me, hey, Noah, go judge just a Naga. Or go be a ref here. I, I was thinking about how do you guys like... A, how do you start, like, just getting in to be a referee? And then how do you manage just the chaos that's a grappling match and enforce rule sets? Because that, to me, like, it seems simple that when I thought about it, I'd be like, I'm going to be overwhelmed. Right. So just kind of walk me through that, and then we'll get to the intricacies of the ADCC rule set and what makes that so unique. So, and you know, starting with becoming a ref. Mm-hmm. If anybody that is interested on in becoming a ref, I really don't think, and this is actually something 
that I'm working on a small project uh, with a friend of mine, but it's actually teaching how to be a ref. It is unique because being a ref is not about a single rule set, in my opinion. There's a lot of things that you're looking for um, in the match, but yes, you must understand the rule set. Mm -hmm. um, you have to kind of separate yourself from the athlete's perspective. You're not there to make the match exciting. You're not there to for anything other than enforce the rules and the athlete's safety. Okay. That's the way that I approach it. I'm there to enforce the rules and the athlete's safety. Um, but to start, I would say just volunteer. You know, any tournament that you're interested in in your local area, volunteer to work the table. Start at the table. Because that will give you a different perspective than from an athlete. It'll give you a different perspective than a fan. Because sometimes you're watching your friend and you're biased toward, towards what your friend is doing. Oh, he did this and he did that. Mm, that's not what the rules say. So he doesn't get points. He doesn't get advantages or whatever the case may be and whatever rule set it may be. But look at it from the table point of view. I don't know if every ref does this. I study a ton of matches. Like, I got a good friend of mine who happens to be a pretty popular guy. His name is Ricardo Amendolia. Mm -hmm. And he does the Balea breakdowns. And every match that he puts out and, you know, he has a lot of old school matches. I don't only judge it from the most of his matches that he puts. He puts a lot of IBJJF matches. But I don't only look at it from one single rule set. I literally have a notebook and I put down IBJJF and I draw a line. ADCC and I draw a line. And then no sub only rules and I draw another line. And then I judge them individually per even match. It's like, what would I make a decision on this point and compare it to whatever call the referee is doing? That's the hardest part, making the call on the moment. Because you don't have a second, a second chance. You don't have playback. You don't have replay. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, some events will let you, you know, dispute it and oh no i you know i video my guys um my guy thing but um you know just um you know and you you can argue it there might be a head ref and, and i've seen it happen i've done it in some of the events that i that i work but uh but that's not often but start watching working at the table and then work your way up little by little bit volunteer that's you know I've been doing this now 20 plus years and I started volunteering, rolling out mats, cleaning the mats, flipping scoreboards. Um, actually, my first event that I ever refed us in the middle of the mat was here in Central Florida in Lakeland. No kidding. I, it might have been the first rival classic. Really? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. So... Um, Let's go into like the rules meeting that the refs have before an event. What's going on there? How is that structured? And, and like, just give me kind of a rundown of what's happening in that meeting. Okay. Now, are you referring for ADCC now? No, just in for I mean, any. Yeah. So, and I think they are intricate because 
it is one of the problems we have in jiu-jitsu that we don't have a single rule set. Yeah. You know, you, you go to a Naga event and there's one set of rules. You go to New Breed and it's another set of rules. IBJJF, another set of rules. ADCC, another set of rules. Tap out for cancer, mm-hmm. another set of rules. So every event has their own little sets of rules. Um, you know, what I think is my, the, probably the most comprehensive Another person may say it's absurd. You know, oh, you know, like I don't believe in advantages. Me personally, I was going to ask you. That's one of my questions: is about advantages. Yeah, <laughs> I don't believe in advantages. You either get it or you don't. Mm-hmm. So yes, I know there is a certain amount of effort. Like for example, to open the guard and get to half guard, I get it, but I don't. I I don't agree with it. But that's just my personality. That's mm-hmm. just my theory. Um. I believe rules meetings are crucial to clarify and do a nice once over so the participants understand and have a clear expectations of what the rules should be. And that's a huge problem that people don't make effort to go to the rules meeting. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the mat and people argue with me you know, oh, that, you know, that's not how it's done in this particular event. You're right. But this is not that particular event. And if you would have been in the rules meeting, you would have realized that this is different. So I think it's crucial to have rules meeting either the day before or the morning off. Um, every event is ran a little different depending on logistics. But I think it's, it's crucial to have rules meeting. And it's crucial for the participants to attend it. Yeah. So... So when it comes to, um, like, one thing that I always find is scrambles. When you look at a, a, a scramble in jiu-jitsu and one person's on bottom, one person on top, and there's a scramble, a whole bunch of shit happens, how do you guys, like, is that just you've just gotten, you've seen so many that you're able to do it? Or are there little tricks you guys do where you, like, Man. you like like put out a finger down? You're like, I, okay. I have little tricks like that. I do things like that. So uh, I'll tell one of the tricks of the trade for me. I use my fingers, and I split my fingers into two individuals. Yeah. Okay, so I, I know the fans cannot see. But my pinky and ring finger, it will be one participant. My index and middle finger, it will be the other guy. And then I use my knuckles to know the the movements or the time, depending on the rule set. Now we're going to go into the specific rule sets of who's doing what. And I pinch myself there. And if you watch some of my matches, you see that I hang one of my hands. (laughs) And I, with my thumb, I'm like counting, you know. But it's just something that I've done. Being able to do that. And I personally, it's not that I dislike it, but it's not my preference to judge smaller guys because uh, of that. It's, they're so fast. It's, they're so fast. <laughs> Man, um, I believe it was ADCC 2000, uh, I think nine in Barcelona or mm-hmm. seven. It might have been 2007 in Barcelona. And... Oh, crud. It might be 2000. Man, I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> but the, my point is, and I remember this real clearly, it was um, Cobrinha versus Rafa Mendes. Oh, boy. Exactly. 
<laughs> man, these are two of the guys that move the most. I mean, and they just roll and you know, Cobrinha's doing capoeira moves and Rafa's doing beating bolos back in those days with no gi. And it's really hard, especially, and we go now a little bit into the ADCC rules, who initiated the movement and on the scramble, did they maintain position for X amount of time? And man, it, 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 that's one of the reasons why ADCC requires to have certain amount of judges plus a referee because it's different in ADCC. The referee on the mat, it's not who calls the points. The referee on the mat is for verification and safety of the athletes. Okay. So, and now we will be getting into like very in-depth yeah, yeah. on so, how it's ran. So, before we get there, because that, that's going to be the meat of our discussion. Um, something uh, as simple as like securing a pass. I find it interesting that like in a lot of rule sets, IBJJF-like rule sets, let's just say. To secure a pass, you have to pin. I, my understanding, the the person like if I if my guard's passed mm -hmm. and I don't turtle, but I literally just get stay on my side and I'm framing. My opponent technically hasn't passed. Is that correct or am I wrong? Man, you know, because this I is would, kind of the stuff where I'm like, right. It, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I would really, I would have to read through the book again. But my understanding is. Half of the back must be pinned onto the mat. The other okay. half can be exposed. Gotcha. So, but you must clear completely both legs. Both knees, yeah. So, you know, and not just the knee. Because if I have a butterfly hook, you pass everything, but I still have your foot hooked onto my Correct. foot. Correct. So, not if, a pass. if they get into the hip and... You got to clear completely the legs. And, you know, I can have my back half turn. Like, if you're on my right side, my left shoulder can be framing and pushing off, but my, if my right shoulder blade is on the ground, that's a pass. That's a pass, okay. Right. And now we get into the intricacies that, you know, what is a pass in this particular event, what is not a pass on this other event. Or what is, or even, even. Because I like, can pass your guard and both of you, you could be in a seated up position. This is true. And I can be clearly. I clear both of your legs. I'm holding you by the waistline, but if you've got strong enough abs and flexible enough, you could be sitting completely up. And is that a pass? So those rules got to, the particular event has to define those rules. And that's part of, as a referee, you got to have a very clear understanding of those rules. And we're human, we make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I've made mistakes in the past. I've made mistakes on big money matches and MMA. You know, when I look back, I was like, man, should have I stopped that match? I think I stopped it a little bit too early. You know, did I stop it too late? You know, I have a good friend of mine that he can no longer fight MMA now because the referee stopped the match too late. And, yeah. you know, he had terminal, well, not terminal, but he had long-term brain damage. Yeah. Uh, I mean... And he's a really tough guy. He's not going to tap to strikes. But again, that's a, as a referee, that's your job. I'm looking out for their safety. What about, uh, so how does that manifest itself uh, ensuring competitor safety as a referee when it's a jiu-jitsu match? Because I'd rather make the mistake in the side of safety. 
Always. Every single time. So where are you stepping in to protect uh, competitor safety? Because my understanding, like, primitively, I would see a layman would be like, well, in jiu-jitsu, you tap. You go until the person taps. Right. So where are the judgment calls that, like, where do you have to step in? Give me examples of where you would have to step in. A choke. Okay. That's the most clear way to step in. A choke. Um, you know, you can have somebody's back, the guy's defending your grips, and he can have the eyes wide open looking at you, <laughs> he's but that stairs a thousand yards away, man. You know, and it's happened, you yeah. know? So you have to recognize, and again, this is part of the training that I'm developing and putting together to train people to be able to recognize certain body movements and certain things you know that one thousand yard stare is the person really looking at me and following me with his eyes mm -hmm. or he's just like gone and his eyes happen to be open yeah you know the a hand drops or if you know somebody's being let's say kimura on one side well guess what that guy's not gonna tap with that kimura hand mm -hmm. he's gonna tap with the free hand so i shouldn't i have to place myself in a spot where I can see both of his hands, but my primary concern is not the hand being submitted, is the hand that is good, free to tap. Gotcha. So, I mean, does that... That makes sense. Make now, sense now on, the, on, the, on, the, on the point of the tap, um, I would imagine you've had to have situations where you've had the, quote, Brazilian tap. Oh, absolutely. So, so absolutely. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a single... I, you know, I can genuinely say I cannot think of a single event... Maybe not to me, but I cannot think of a single event where it doesn't happen. Where it doesn't happen. Because he... he and, and what do you think is going on? Do you think the person is legitimately trying to like game the system by tapping to get their opponent? Sometimes, opponent's... of course. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Everybody tries to stretch the, the, the line, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there's times that your body does it out of automatic reaction. Mm -hmm. We train... Even if we train hard and we go at it as hard as we can, we train with a self-preservation primal instinct in the brain that, okay, I'm in trouble. Let me tap and let's go another round, mm -hmm. you know? And in competition, sometimes you think you're going for a grip removal or you're trying to reach for something and your body instinctively just does that phantom tap, you know? It happens, man. Sorry. I saw your hand tap. You know, you didn't see it. You, you're trying to fight. You know, I, I mean, I tell you somebody, someone that has happened is Josh Hinger. He uses that chin strap headlock mm -hmm. a lot with the single arm. Yeah. His other arm has under overs. His other arm is looking for his grips and setups. But that, and I've been on that chin strap before. That thing's brutal. It's extremely uncomfortable the way he does it. Mm -hmm. He digs that thumb right into your throat, um, and you think you're gonna vomit. Yeah. So I see a lot of guys like looking for his hand, but just instinctively they're tapping. Um, and there was a you know the other day in social media I saw a video that somebody was arguing versus a um, it was a Ten Planet guy. He had a, a an arm in guillotine. <sighs> And his opponent and I watched it over and over. And that's the benefit of being able to watch it in video. You can watch it over and over. At the time, yeah, I probably would have called it a tap. 
watching it over and over. By the fourth time, I was like, no, he's reaching for the guy's arm. Yeah. You know? No, he's, you know, there was a second angle. I was like, no, he's, from the other angle, you clearly see that the guy's trying to reach, you know, for the guy's shoulder to defend the guillotine. But at the moment, it, it looks like a tap. I'm going to stop it. So in your mind, so the call for you is it's if the if the competitor, if the athlete makes a gesture that appears to be a tap, even if they're flailing to get something, it's your responsibility to stop it. And it's the responsibility of the athlete to accept that, that their movement was too Absolutely. close to being a tap. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I'm just I'm just like there's stating this, it. There's another part to that that. I'm a little leery about talking about it, but I'll say it because I think it needs to be said. As a referee, you need to know your athletes. That's not going to happen every time. Mm -hmm. um, but at the higher levels, you need to know your athletes. For example, you know, I I've refereed a couple of the fight to wins. I've refereed ADCC, mm -hmm. you know, especially like those big events, the ADCCs. Before I go to an ADCC, at the world championships, not the trials, because at the trials, I'm not going to know everybody. But at the world championships, you bet your rear end that I'm going to watch video on as many people as I can. Um, just because I want to know what their trends are. And I'll give you a perfect example. AJ Agrazam. Oh, boy. <laughs> Man, that guy is made of rubber. I've seen his hand, literally, I've seen his hand touch the back of his head on a Kimura. And he's not tapping. Wow. And he rolled, 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 boom, got out, stood up, and went back to his match. You know? So he's one of those guys. You know? You got to know the athletes, especially at the higher level. You know? At the local level, smaller tournaments, are you going to? Probably not. Uh, and that's when I say I'd rather make the mistake on the side of safety rather than injury. Especially if it's a local event, I'd rather you come back. So what uh, – did you see that, that, um, that video, or maybe you were at the tournament, I don't know, but of, of uh, one of the meows getting their foot twisted all the way around? Yeah. If you're the ref, what, what, what's going through your mind? He's not tapping. I let it go. <laughs> Again, he goes to – I tell you, I've seen somebody get footlocked and his foot put complete to a 180, and the guy's looking like – um, Jeff Glover, pipe layer. Mm -hmm. And actually, I remember at the ADCC trials in Kenosha, not Kenosha, um, Corona, Canada, Vancouver area. Okay. Um, one of the jokes was that, oh, I can walk backwards. I'm like, what do you mean you can walk backwards? And I remember he can stand up straight, turn his toes towards his no back. No way. And stand straight and walk. His toes are pointing towards his back and he walks forward. He can do that. Uh, so again, the Meow brothers are known. Meow brother versus uh, Kennedy Cobrinha's son yeah. at ADCC. There's a picture of her. His knees bent. I mean, his leg looks like a like a rocking chair rocker. Yeah. And he's just like, ain't nothing happening here. There's I'm another one with, against uh, one of them against the Rotolos. One against the Rotolo brothers, same thing. Uh, the Rotolo, not Kennedy. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. It was Rotolo. Yeah. And, I mean, the picture, it, you see the curvature of the leg going yeah. the wrong way. And, but you know me, I was not going to tap to that. 
Yeah. You know, if he taps it, then those guys at that point, you know, they're buying not only for the price money, but sponsorships on the line, other deals are on the line for those guys. So they're going to suck up a little bit of discomfort, you know, you know, Vinny Magalhães. Yeah. Vinny, I mean, I've seen that, I've seen people slap nasty footlocks on that guy and he just laughs at him, you know? So you got to know, especially at the higher level, you got to know your athletes. Okay. So um, moving to the topic of ADCC, what makes the ADCC uh, competition and rule set so, I'm just going to use the word special, that the set of people that the head honcho Mo will allow to ref is so small. So, like, give me an out, like, what goes into training these refs? How are they trained? And why is there such a select few There's referees? One, in, in my opinion, and again, I cannot answer for Mo or the head. No, this is just in your opinion. But one word comes to mind, experience. Mm-hmm. I have been with ADCC now almost 20 years. I'm maybe a little bit over. 21, jeez, yeah. No, more than 20 years. Um, when did they start? 98, I believe. It's so funny because I always forget it's, it's Abu Dhabi Combat Club, but we all go by ADCC now. Right, you right. Know? Just because, I mean, I mean, officially still the Abu Dhabi Combat Club. Sure. Uh, but, you know, the first three or four events were in a, at the Abu Dhabi Combat Club. Mm-hmm. And we're by invitation only. And it's cool because I still remember, you know, you have, you know, you, you have the, the Emiratis and they're playing with the Darbukas and the drums all day. <laughs> and it was so cool because it's a very different atmosphere, yeah. you know. You know, now, you, you know, you have, uh, you know, you have Mo and Seth uh, and Sean, they do the whole production. And, you know, Sean's, you know, I, I learned this from Sean at the events. He has badass DJ. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think at one of the events, DJ Rathmatic was DJing. Wow. And I don't know if you know about DJ. Yeah, He's yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. original, real old school vinyl scratchers. And, you know, they got the fireworks on the screens. And, you know, the level of production that they have elevated the, the event to is amazing. Um, but going back to, to being a ref for ADCC, I think the number one thing here is experience there's no other way in my opinion to replicate being under the pressure because i can give you a book and tell you to read it and learn it and you can do that but that's not going to replicate real life that's not going to replicate you having cyborg and gordon ryan and let me not even get into that topic because that's part of the topic i'm sure but you're not going to get Nikki Rodriguez and Muhammad Ali in your face. No, we were out in this position. And now one person is arguing, and I'm not going to move, and I'm not going to move. You got to make that decision. You can't get intimidated by that. You know? One of the conveniences of ADCC is as the floor ref and the table judges will come to an agreement. And there's more than one set of eyes on the mat. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, that's part of the exclusiveness. It's the referee on the mat, you have a lot of things to think about at once. 
you know, I got to be in the right place. And again, now with my experience, one of the things that I even take in consideration, am I blocking the camera? Yep. Because people are paying to watch this. Yeah. You know, it happens a lot in fight to win. They have two or three camera angles. I'm like, you, you know, I'll try to put myself where I can watch and pay attention to the match. But shit, am I blocking the camera? Um, you know, I need to. And then again, this is part of learning how to be a ref. I try to like predict where the match is going to move towards on the mat. And I try to put myself where I block the guys from going out of bounds. And I try to eliminate that before it happens. I keep, I'm very vocal, so I'll tell them, move to the middle. Work towards the middle. Now try to tell that to a Japanese guy that speaks no English and a Brazilian guy that speaks no English. <laughs> you know, I don't speak Japanese. Yeah. I speak a little bit of Portuguese. You know, I know some words in Japanese, but it's not, you know, you can't expect that out of everybody. But experience, experience, experience. And I think that's the number one thing that is difficult. Um, every ADCC trial, every, every ADCC event before, they have a very thorough rules meeting. I'm talking, these rules meetings take two, three hours. It's not just your little cupcake, two points for this, three points. No, it's very thorough. Not only that, um, as the, the main referees and judges, Peter, George, Mo, myself, um, we lend ourselves and we even tell the guys, if you have a particular strategy that you want to talk about and you have questions, but you don't want your opponents to listen to, come and ask. Wow. You know, okay. we tell them that. Because at that level, guys have strategies. You know, you got guys that'll play the point game. You got guys that they don't give a damn. They're just going to go submission after submission mm -hmm. and they don't care what, how many, you know, they're down 52 points, but then they catch it with some submission. Um, you know, there's guys that they'll go out all out for the submission, but then when the point system starts, they'll have a strategy for it, you know? Um, and the smarter guys will play the strategy. And I'm not trying to minimize other people's intelligence, but the guys that know the rules better. And, and a perfect example of that, Jeff Monson. You know, now, Jeff there's Monson. A name. There's a name going back. You know, yeah. we go back, but he's one of the OG ADCC guys that he didn't win because he had better jujitsu than everybody. He won because he was a better strategist. You know, Gordon Ryan. Man, Gordon. He knows how to play with those rules really good. He's a submission hunter, but don't let it fool you. He knows how to use the rules to his advantage. And Gordon learned after he had that match at the trials, last minute match with Leandro Lowe, because he lost that match because neither one of them knew the rules. They just, I can't remember how many negatives we gave both of them because they were just, trying to get action going and Leandro was a little bit more savvy than Gordon at the moment mm -hmm. Cyborg man Cyborg is a guy that again he knows the rules and Cyborg would like sit there and like beam a hole through your head and he's paying attention to those rules meeting you know 
Cobrinha, he's a guy like that. You know, Th these are guys that they really put attention to the rules. Um, and those guys are usually the ones that you see at the podium more often than not. So it's funny because that, that conjures a, 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 in my mind a quote that Keenan Cornelius had when comparing ADCC to um, a local tournament, even, even I think like an IBJJF Open, where he'd say like, if you go to an Open, many times the athletes know the rules better than the refs. At ADCC, the refs know the rules better than the athletes. Absolutely. And, and a lot of that was, I think, commentary on, for example, the Cyborg, uh, Nicky Rod. I think there was like a string of matches where Nicky Rod won, he was winning, um, you know, by decision. But people were trying to understand, well, wait a minute, what's going on? Well, in the rule set, and these guys understand the rule set, he's winning. So um, what are some of the differences? Because I know there's a lot of subtleties, and I'm not even that familiar when it comes to, like, I think it's like initiation, who's initiating a movement. Right. And, and it, there is, I guess, some reward for for wrestling more than in other tournaments, potentially? Like? I wouldn't say... I can see why a lot of people think it. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say that there's more reward for better wrestling, but if you're going to go to compete at ADCC, your wrestling be, better be on point. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't happen until finals. You will get penalized for pulling guard. Oh, so it's okay. So that's a subtlety I wasn't aware of. <laughs> so you you don't get penalized for pulling guard unless you're in the finals, or during the point period. During the point period, and the so point remember, period they're, is they're, the is the last half. In right? a, correct. In a single ADCC match at the World Championships, standard times is ten minutes. Mm -hmm. Right. The first five minutes, there's no points whatsoever. There's no negatives, no positives. You can get warnings. But there's no negatives and positives. But once that period point starts, depending on how many negatives you can go to an automatic, I'm sorry, depending on how many warnings you can go to an automatic negative. Gotcha. And there are other circumstances of why you can get negatives. It's not just pulling guard, but pulling guard is the most common one. Gotcha. Uh, because you have a lot of great jujitsu guys that have trash wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, and... Again, we go back to Jeff Monson. At the time, Jeff Monson had probably the best wrestling in all of grappling. And, you know, he played the rules and he forced you to play his game. Um, a perfect example, you know, we talk about Nicky Rod is he played the rules, you know. And he also tried to push the adrenaline and the intensity of the moment. And I think he got... Hindsight is a mother effer, mm -hmm. but I think he got away with certain things that maybe a little bit more experienced ref might have handled it different. Like, for example, that back take he did on Muhammad Ali. And, you know, man, Nicky Rod is 240 pounds of muscle. That guy is <laughs> like a freaking Greek god. Yeah. You know? And when you have a man that size that he spins around to your back, and slaps his arm around your neck, and you got both of your hands up, like, what's going on? He's going to squeeze that neck. And I don't give a damn who you are. That's going to take effect on your performance for the rest of the match, whether the referee stops it or not. Mm -hmm. You know? So, you know, again, I, I, I don't... 
it's again he, he was smart the the way that he played the game and his coach i forget his name now i met him a bunch of times his coach is phenomenal he's a man not only you know professor danaher but Nicky Rod's original coach, he's a heavy set guy with a long beard. You see him, he promoted Nicky Rod on the podium. Um, he's a smart guy. And I remember him at the East Coast Trials uh, that, that season. Um, and he was one of the guys that asked a lot of questions. And he was one of the guys that he was like on it. And he made Nicky do the trials, you know. Um, again, and he, played, he played the game, man. He, he won. You know, he plays really well. Second at the Worlds, you know, on his weight class. No, that, as that's, a that's phenomenal. As a non-official, non-official purple belt, I think he got from as a blue belt, you know, with less than two years of mm -hmm. official jiu-jitsu training. You know, yeah. yeah. So um, one thing that I'm uh, like a little fuzzy on was a lot of, black belts that were commenting on ADCC in the most recent one were talking about how it was very hard to score because anytime people would pass, these guys would turtle right. and they wouldn't get their hooks. So right. give a, is there more to more to that? Or did I just kind of, no, I you hit it in the nail. It is hard to score in ADCC. And this is why we go. Um, and I said, if you're going to go do ADCC, your wrestling and your conditioning better be on point because it is hard to score. It's no gi, you know? Mm -hmm. And even training, man, it's hard to secure a, a guard pass, you know? The guy can turtle up easy, more so than replace guard. Yeah. It's easier to turtle than replacing guard. So, at least in my opinion. Um, so, it's, it's harder to score. Now, not only are you making it hard because it's no gi and you're sweaty and, and all of that, but now you're dealing with the top 16 guys in the world at that weight class, you know? Um, like, you know, I, I'll give an example is um, Orlando Sanchez and Tom DeBlas. Man, Orlando's got to be one of the strongest dudes yeah. in grappling, period. I mean, I think Orlando could probably go and be a strong man and, and be fairly competitive right now, you know. And But Orlando, as big and thick as he is, he moves like a cat. And, yeah, Tom DeBlas is known for having a good guard, but, you know, he passed Tom's guard, but he couldn't officially score because Tom would turtle, you know. And then from the turtle, he would replace his guard. And he had a good game that way, and it was very difficult for Orlando to score. So those are the things. It's very, it's not, you know, th people think, it's, oh, I can get a takedown or I can get, you know, a takedown. The guy, as he's falling down, turns belly down. Guess what? You don't have a takedown now, you know? Or he falls into his knees. You, or, okay, perhaps he lands on his butt, but within that movement, he continues to scramble and you don't secure the position at any given time. You're not going to get the points, you know? So a lot of times, you know, one of the things that happens all the time, a guy gets a takedown and his coaches and teammates, points, points, you know, and start screaming points. So like, no, homie, there's a period of time that he needs to control the position, you know, and now they're scrambling. The position is gone. And the guy gets back on his feet, 
you never got the takedown. So, do you know? I mean, you you go you've been with the organization for a very long time now. Do you have any uh, insight into the the motivations behind the creation of the rule set? And has it evolved over the, the past? Yes, it 20- has evolved. They have made some some changes throughout the years. Um, having an insight of why are the rules the way they are, my understanding, and and again, I may be a little bit off, but my understanding is it is the closest rule set in grappling to an MMA fight. Oh, okay. If you look at it, you know, there's no advantages. Aggressiveness gets rewarded. And there's a clear set of rules that once you understand them, you can play along with it and be successful with the system. Um, But, you know, you get awarded. Like, for example, in, in some events, if I take your back, and I go right away to a body lock, figure four triangle. That's an advantage. That's nothing. That's not, oh, yeah. That's nothing. You got to, yeah. I have to have hooks in without my feet crossed. In, in no shape I've or seen form. that in rule books, and I've always wondered. I've, I, I, me personally, I kind of disagree with that. Right. Because you're asking me, the attacker, to pause in what I would argue is a less advantageous position Absolutely. than some of the other ones. I agree ones. with that 100%. <laughs> so, you know, if I have a back take... With the body lock triangle across your waistline, in some events, that's nothing. ADCC, that is the most rewarded position that you can get. You know? So that's the highest scoring, well, not the second highest scoring position. The highest scoring, it would be, I'm going through my head real quick here, sorry. Uh, But it would be a takedown to a mount or a back take. Okay. So, and again, we go back to the same thing, you know? So, you know, if you're in an MMA fight and I got your back with a body lock triangle, it's going to be a rough night for you. You got the longest path out. That's right. You know, like you're you're in the deepest hole. You are in the deepest hole of the game. So it is the closest rule set in my opinion. And I believe that I was the reasoning behind the design of the rules being the way they are. How have they evolved in the last decade? I think there's been very few, but there has been some adjustments to, you know, what a guard pass and takedowns really are. Mm -hmm. And I think those are the two major ones. Um, But I do know that Mo and Peter Gujev, the head referee for ADCC, he lives in Abu Dhabi. Um, they are in the process of creating a very thorough and very um, detailed rules video. Not only the book. And, you know, what's funny is like um, when Gordon was asked about, you know, the whole ordeal about, you know, who, why, who's avoiding you and the whole topic came up. Um, there's a very well-known jiu-jitsu athlete that he said, well, ADCC don't have, you can't find the rules anywhere. Well, yes, you can, you know? And, and I stated in, in the little in the comments. thread, yeah. I said, one, if you're at the rules meeting, you got a thorough go through with the rules. 
So it is your fault for perhaps for not paying attention or not asking the right questions. Number two, there is a rule book and it's actually you can print it out. So it's online. It's on the ADCC website. You know, you can, you know, do your due diligence as an athlete, you know, and and do it. You know, you don't, you know, I don't think my daughter, she's a competitive swimmer now. I don't think I have ever been to a single rules meeting for swimming, but there's rules. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've, I competed high school and college as a swimmer, believe it or not. And um, I don't think I've ever went to a rules clinic. <laughs> I played baseball double A and I went to clinics, but I don't think I ever went to a rules clinic. You know, I mean, you could probably, there's very few sports out there that I think focus as much into the rules as jujitsu and grappling does. But then again, we have a great deal of variations from event to event. Well, and also, I mean, the interpretation of the rules and the application of the rules is so critical to the outcome of a jiu-jitsu match oftentimes, Absolutely. especially at the high level, whereas the refs in basketball and baseball, you know, the outcome of fewer games is going to hinge on a referee's decision. Right. You know what I mean? Um, there will be those play, oh, let's go to instant replay and stuff, but it's not clearly like every time you score, it's the discretion of... The ref or the the desk to just to award points, right? You know, you know. I I, I never played American football, mm -hmm. helmet football, yeah, yeah. egg ball. Um, <laughs> I I never did. Uh, you know, in Puerto Rico when I was growing up, it was just not popular. Yeah. And you know, by the time I moved to the states, I was just way behind the power curve for it. And I like it. Um, but. I've never heard of anyone having a thorough rules meeting for a football game. And that is the most common and known sport in the United States of America. Sure. You know, and, you know, I'm sure we can ask, you know, the guys know the rules. What do they do? They do their due diligence. They go in a room and they watch film. And coach breaks down the rules for them. And as an instructor, that's one of the things that I've done at my academy. I still have an academy in Indiana. And, and I tell the guys, educate yourself about the rules of the event that you're going to go to. Well, and I know that like in the NFL, certain teams, and coincidentally, they're teams that are successful in, in the preseason, mm -hmm. will, bring, will pay to have an NFL official referee come over. Yeah, there and you go oversee some practices and also they'll run through scenarios very similar to what you said earlier about hey if there are things uh you the competitor want to employ strategically in your matches and you don't want that to be public information but you have questions about how that's affected by rules come talk to us that's very much what they're doing absolutely like we're going to do these plays these are the rules are we infringing on the rules by doing this right you know so and, um, you know you can walk that line just make sure you don't cross it exactly you know, yeah. so. So 
what's the deal with Finland and all the Finnish refs? What's <laughs> what like what what like what's the origin of this and what you like know, man, I'll be honest. I will say this. I don't know why. However, the president of the World Federation, um, Marco, he he's original he's from Finland. And um if you ask me, I think that they decided to go with the guys from Finland, have such a big group of the guys from Finland, number one, because those guys are actually, there's a couple of the refs and judges that are doc- the PhDs, you know, and these guys dedicate their time to jiu-jitsu, but they're like full doctors. Uh, one of them, if I'm not mistaken, is an orthopedic surgeon. Um, so their level of education is, re- I mean, Finland is probably one of the top three, you know, when it comes to education mm-hmm. worldwide. But the main thing is you cannot understand a single thing they're saying. And Finnish is such a hard language to learn yeah, I that agree. I think that there's a little bit of um, strategic reason behind that. And I mean, with the times I've learned certain words and certain phrases and I know what they're looking for and expecting and, you know, and it's funny because I bust, we're always busting, they bust my chops about my accent, and then I, I bust their chops, they sound like chef from the, uh, uh, yeah, from yeah, the Muppets. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've learned certain phrases, and I'm like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. And they will freely, the referees on the table will freely talk back and forth, you know, so the referee is looking for something, or something that the table may not be able to see and put down on the score, the referee is telling them something. So I think there's originally, and again, I may be wrong, but I think originally that's part of the strategic reason why. Okay, so that's interesting because I'm actually actually somewhat familiar with with Finnish being so unique because I lived in Europe for a a few years and, and even though Finland and Norway and Sweden are all next to each other. Yep, and they sound very similar. Norway and, and Swedes, they can understand each other Absolutely, to some degree. But not they Finnish. do not understand what the fuck those Finnish people are saying. The yeah. closest language is Hungarian yes. from Hungary. And I also want to say, I think, a little bit of Turkish. And, and a lot of the guys from Finland speak Russian as well. Okay. So, and, and you know, now we get into a whole different topic. But a lot of those European, the, the two head judges for ADCC... Um, Peter and George, they're actually Bulgarian. No kidding. Yeah. And they've been living in Abu Dhabi for many years now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're actually Bulgarian. And again, for me being around them, I picked a couple of little words and phrases here and there. And language was always, I'm not going to say easy for me. Mm-hmm. You know, English was not my first, was not even my second language. But I'm able to understand certain things and catch them um i lived in japan for a little bit so japanese i know a few phrases i won't go hungry let's say that yeah so but uh but i think that's part of the reason that's amazing so i was completely unaware that there's open communication during the percent. there should be in my opinion not only for adcc but for any other event there should be a more clear level of communication than just a couple of hand signals. Yeah, that, but I can understand people saying, well, that could be a distraction to 
the competitors. It could be a distraction to the coach. It could influence things. But like you said, if it is true that, hey, we've got these guys, they speak a language of only five Jorge million Lugia people. Durga, Lugia. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> but I mean, think about it. That's a country of five million people. Yeah, not very and, many. Yeah, and, and that's why they speak. There's so probably many, more uh, people in Miami-Dade County than in all of Finland. <laughs> exactly, and, and the thing also is that's why they're, um, that's one of the reasons why they're so proficient in so many other languages. Yeah. Because any Finnish person I've met, and I, I, this is not an exaggeration, speaks at least four languages. One, two, yeah. Three, at least three four. Three to four. At and least. I've asked them about how the public school system works, and I've been told that every few years they'll add another language and, yes. the UP, and it becomes elective but it's initially it's Finnish and English absolutely and then it's usually Spanish or Italian or French or German and they start adding yeah. and it's not uncommon to run into a Finnish person that does pretty damn well speaking five or six languages absolutely and yeah some of them are all Latin, like oh they know Spanish now they understand French and Italian they're all Latin based but right. still compared still. to what I grew up with in the United States it's impressive yeah And, it, and part of the reason is because their language is so unique. They have to communicate with other people because they don't under, people aren't going to understand what they're yeah, no, saying. It, it's difficult. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've traveled through Europe uh, as well. And, you know, what's funny, actually, a little anecdote. We were in, I worked with Bulldog Fight. Uh, oh yeah back. i don't know if you remember i want to yeah, well i want to talk offline about that because i'm sure there are a lot of stories we can, so <laughs> i want to talk about those photo shoots we for were <laughs> oh man i love those <laughs> we were we were in moscow yeah we were in moscow for it event. was a russian-based promotion no well yes and no it was it was complicated m1 was the russian m1 one. was russian We did have a lot of Russian influence in, uh, in Bodog, uh, but it was just a very close business connection mm -hmm. with, uh, with some people in Russia. Um, but Calvin Ayer was the president of Bodog Fight. Calvin okay. Ayer is a Canadian businessman. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he was primarily established in Aruba. Um, but we did events in Canada, Um, we did events in Costa Rica. We did events in Russia. Uh, we were in Russia, and we were, I was with a group of friends. We were going to go to like a nightclub, a bar or something, and the doorman said, no Americans allowed. And I said, and I, he hit me, and I spoke to him in Spanish with a Cuban accent, and he right away started speaking to me in perfect Spanish with a Cuban accent, No kidding. And said, no problem, come in. And I'm like, all right. Oye, vamos, mi hermano. And I brought my friends in and we had a great time. And the whole time they believed that I was a Cuban national. Wow. It, it is what it is. But to think that bouncer was so proficient with languages. Right. You know, and you know, you can't go to Wisconsin You know, obviously they're not going to stop you just because you look different. Probably yeah. won't really happen. Um, but, you know, it is it, not as common to see somebody being multilingual in the U.S. than it is overseas. And, sure. you know, part of the issue is like that, especially Europe. You know, you have so many different people from different places and everybody's very close by and there's very pretty free travel among different countries with different languages 
that you have to learn it. Yeah. It's part of the culture. I have family in Italy and, you know, they speak three, four languages. You know, I, I feel that I'm the one that is behind and I speak pretty proficient three of them. Yeah. You know, and it's like, geez, you know, and like you said, you, those guys from Finland, I mean, Finnish is a very difficult language to learn. Yeah. And, you know, those guys speak four, five languages. That's crazy, man. That, yeah. That, okay, so that's a slant I never would have thought of. So, um, but again, don't quote me on that. No, I'm not no, no, no. I, I, sure. I understand. No, no, but yeah. I, I, it's, 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 I think it's, it's a good insight. I, I think it's, I, I mean, it may, there's logic to it. Whether yeah. it's actually true or not, that we you know, we'll leave that. Uh, we will have to we, ask uh, yeah. <laughs> the boss and the sheep. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to go back in time or something. So, um, where is ADCC, like, what's the latest? I, I don't want you to divulge anything you sure. can't divulge, but, like, what, what's the timeline right now? Because I feel like, you know. It's going to happen in 2022. 2022. In Vegas. We don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Right. It depends. It depends on a bunch it of It depends things. on COVID. Okay. But I feel like we're, we're The, the, we're the idea, the, the goal, obviously the goal was to make it happen, uh, the Thomas and Mac Arena in Vegas. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, everything was go mm -hmm. until the Rona came in yeah. and put the funky wrist lock. So the, the issue with right now, the blocking, the, the main thing I can perceive is like until travel restrictions right. are lessened, yeah. we can't hold the event. Yeah. Okay. That I, I, you know, actually, and that's actually part of the reason that I believe we're here to begin with because... Gordon had complained online, and it's funny, it's part of his strategy of getting good matches that nobody wanted to face him and, and any rule set, whatever. And then Cyborg said, I'll be Huckleberry, you know? And they said, well, we don't have a referee. And I said, well, I know somebody, yeah, you know? And I right away reached to Mo and ADCC, and I said, listen, if they're willing, I'm willing. I just want to be the guy. I mean, this, yes, it's happened before, but, you know, I think personally both athletes have grown exponentially as athletes, um, technical and physical-wise, and, um, and I would love to be the guy. And size-wise, they match up. Like but a again, lot of, yeah. it's such a high-profile match that if anything goes wrong, it will be all on me. So therefore, you know, ADCC doesn't want to put themselves in a position and they would, they just, the whole organization is very type A, mm. you know? And that's, I think that's why ADCC has grown to be the most prestigious event in the world because everybody that works at ADCC is such a type A person. And by that, what I mean is, there's a lot of perfectionist in the room mm -hmm. you know things have to be you got to have this many people on the mat you got to have this the mat has to be a specific size mm -hmm. uh you know you got to have so many people as judges you know they got to be there's got to everything has to be in place the right way you know they be, they leave very little margin of errors and and i think that's part of the reason of the success of the brand as well okay um, but I would love to see that match again for sure. Oh, I would too. And I, I think because honestly, 
you know, I, I, I'm looking through the Rolodex of current active athletes, you know, and as far as 2020 goes, I think Cyborg was probably one of the most active and successful athletes in the business. Mm -hmm. Gordon, I think, had maybe four or five matches that on 2020 total. And yes, I do get that he is having some some challenges uh, finding opponents. You know, and that's why he took a couple of those hybrid matches with Bo Nickel, mm -hmm. uh, with Triple P, Pat Downey. Uh, I love that guy. That guy is a beast. <laughs> and he's been training rough MMA now. So if he decides to go MMA, he'll be a deal. He, he'll be somebody tough to deal with. Um, so he took a couple of those hybrid matches. And, um, you know, but if you look at ranking, I hate rankings, but if you look at the, 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 uh, the amount of people and the quality of people not trying to take anything away, you know, Cyborg was a lot more active mm -hmm. versus more troublesome type guys, you know? Um, but, you know, in my opinion, the two best heavyweights, period. Uh, Buchecha is really focusing a lot on his MMA career yeah. and upcoming fight. Um, Orlando Sanchez, he's a problem, but I think strategically both Cyborg and Gordon would beat him just because, you know, um, again, we go back to strategy and, and styles make matches, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would love to see that match again, you know? That would be that would be badass. So make it happen if you guys are out there listening. Yeah, make it for the community. Um, dude, I think we've covered a lot here. What uh, what have you got going on now? How was uh, how was the event that you held recently? Man, it was it was really really good. Uh, well, I work with B two Fighting Series. B two Digital is the mm -hmm. parent company, um, and originally they are an MMA brand. They have several different events throughout the Midwest, from Kentucky all the way to um, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Alabama, Mississippi. Um, so they have um, a couple of different MMA events and well-established. And the event that we did here, they brought me in as their grappling guy. A funny thing is, is the joke is, the running joke is nobody know who Carlos Diaz is, but they know who the jiu-jitsu guy is. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, so I'm their jujitsu guy, but um, we, this is our second event. We did one event in the Chicago area, actually Hammond, um, and it went well. But then again, the state of Illinois has a lot of restri COVID restrictions, mm -hmm. and a lot of academies have closed. A lot of people are just not training because yeah. it's very difficult. Uh, so we did the event Florida, and Florida has always been a really tough market to get in, but you know, it's one of those things. If you make it in Florida, you can make it anywhere. Sure. And we had a really good event and we are looking to have our next event on July 17th. So that is the plan right now. Mm -hmm. We are finalizing. We are probably going to go for a different venue. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but we're finalizing those little details, but we're shooting for July 17th. That's awesome. And where, if people are interested, where can they find details? They can either check out my social media. Uh, you can sh check out the event social media mm -hmm. at B2 Grappling Series on Instagram, B2 Grappling Series on Facebook, um, also B2 Grappling in website. And uh, yeah, we got all the information out there and we'll keep everybody updated. On awesome, that. dude. Um, before I let you go, uh, I did have one last question. What's the craziest submission you've seen as a ref for a match you were refereeing? It, it'll be a sequence. Okay. It's not, it's not a single... Or just the craziest thing you've seen. Let, make it, you know, like he's... I saw a guy... Man, it's just... The, you you got to look at it and who did it mm -hmm. and what was done. Uh, my favorite one is uh, Leo Santos flying triangle, George St. Pierre. You were the ref for that. I was not the ref, but I was on the table. You were on the table. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite submission of all times, and is the story behind it, was Marcelo Garcia versus Rico Rodriguez. Yeah. And it's just the story behind it. Um, the wildest submission that I've seen has to be a failed flying triangle to an arm bar, to a knee bar, to a heel hook, if wow. you can think that. But yes, I've, I, I, I remember the guy. Literally just falling down the body. Right. The guy went to the triangle <laughs> and... His opponent kind of like based up real hard, but had the arm. The arm was fully straight, but he didn't tap. And, you know, with the gravity, just yeah. didn't. So he slips down. And he slipped down <laughs> and he just went into the knee. And I'm, and I'm standing. And actually, I was a spectator. I was not even refing. Uh, and I'm like, did he really do that? And, and then as he just whoop, whoop, rolled in and got him with the heel hook. Wow. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you who the guy was because I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't remember who the guys were. Yeah, but uh, it was dope as hell, you That's know. Awesome. But yeah, and and, the, and again, my favorite of all time, Marcelo Garcia versus Rico Rodriguez, because of the whole story behind it and Rico doing the illegal slam, and then Marcelo yeah. said, "No, don't DQ him, let him go." Yeah, and, and taking finished. his back and choking him. I actually saw a video just got posted on social media just the few days of uh, Popovich and Marcelo. An old yeah, footage. Marcelo just brought that old, old, old. That was the first time they faced. Actually, in, in, in honor of Marcelo, I'm letting my hair grow a little bit more. Because <laughs> uh, he had the big Jufro yeah. at the time. But uh, yeah, that was actually at the, um, man, what's the name of that school? Broward Prep High School Gymnasium. In if they Broward only County. knew who was stepping on the mats there, you know. Just, well, they knew who each other. I mean, at the time, no, 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 no. I know that, but like, oh. of, uh, like to have you, those you two ask, athletes yeah. at that venue. That's what I'm saying. Like in right. terms of a mismatch, it, it was literally. It's a. I mean, Broward Prep is a small private high school on the north end of Broward County, mm -hmm. and it was just their basketball gym. There was probably maybe maybe. Two, three hundred people there. Wow. But you had a lot of people that at the time were absolute, you know, 
some guys that a lot of people nowadays don't know who they are, but the Avalon brothers. Oh, wow. You know, both of the Avalon brothers, ADC, ADCC trial winners, you know, ADCC veterans, um, pretty much self-taught, you know, Pablo Popovich, you know, ADCC champ, Marcelo Garcia, multiple-time ADCC champ. Um, Otto Olsen was there, who was a phenomenal D1 wrestler. Um, I mean, there was just a lot of guys, uh, you know, that you ask your average blue belt, purple belt nowadays, they're like, who? Like, you know, this guy's with pioneers at the time. Yeah, these are bad, bad dudes. Bad dudes. You know, um, on the topic of Marcelo, I was kind of like caught off guard because I, um, you know, Marcelo's like oftentimes the, you know, the, the shining example of the smaller guy beating the bigger guy, especially, Absolutely. you know. Um, but when I told when I you know I was talking about Marcelo with Paul on the mat, and I made a comment like, "Well, you know, Marcelo's like my size, right?" And he was like, "No, he's not. He's he's a bigger dude than that." I was like, "Really?" Yeah. You know, I didn't realize how thick Marcelo was, and I started looking. It's so, like his thighs are thick, and and what 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 Paul said is everything. Like his wrists are thick. Everything is just because Paul was training MMA down when Marcelo was training MMA at American Top Team. Yeah. And Marcelo only has one MMA fight in Japan. Um and that was, you know, the first time I saw Marcelo at the weigh-ins for that event. Uh, it's the first time I saw him face to face mm -hmm. in person. And I always thought that he was a little smaller guy, and yes, he is short on the shorter and over for a 77 kilogram guy, but man, that guy ham hocks. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, those are ibarical hams for legs. <laughs> his calves were thick, and you know, he's always he's he has such a soft and mild demeanor, and he's so friendly and so and so welcoming person. You know that. Uh, you really think he's a lot smaller than what he is. But, you know, Marcelo is probably around 88 kilos mm -hmm. normal. Well, you know, 88, 90 kilos normal. And he would cut weight to 77 kilos. Yeah. And, you know, I remember at the weigh-ins, he takes off his hoodie and he's on his little, the, the old school yeah, yeah, yeah. Valetudo shorts. And he was ripped. His back is like a refrigerator. His forearms and his wrists, his wrists were probably as thick as my ankles that's amazing genetics you know? for a guy who and his hands he, he's got like little short fat like like plumber's hands i call them you know <laughs> you know it's just like he's a thick strong guy and i don't think i've ever the whole time that he was on there i really never i cannot think of ever seeing him like lift weights or anything and you know I, and i remember one time he taught one of the classes the grappling classes for the protein and he goes you know if you want to be good at jiu-jitsu, you do jiu-jitsu. And if you want to have better cardio for jiu-jitsu, do jiu-jitsu faster. And if you want to be stronger for jiu-jitsu, do jiu-jitsu with bigger guys. Wow. That was his theory. Yeah. So, you know, it worked for him, man. You no, know, man, the it, guy it, was It's amazing. But yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a good reminder because, like I said, I didn't like you said. The, his character he's so humble you he carries himself a certain way obviously you see him going with bigger guys oh, yeah, you know so 
you look at him, he's like, oh, you know, he's a small guy, but he's not, he's, he's not, you know, no, for a normal person, either. like he's a stocky, strong oh, yeah. dude. Um, last question, I swear. Um, Paul mentioned to me, and I didn't know this, and this is the same day we we're talking about um, uh, Marcelo, was a young Mikey Musinesi was at ATT. Absolutely. And, and I didn't know that. <laughs> I had so no idea. And Paul Mikey, told- <laughs> Mikey will say it on his interviews, you know, that his foundation, uh, you know, and I don't know if you know Amir Boussad, Shark. You know, he runs American Top Team in Wellington. But at the time, we didn't have all the franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started training with Shark. And I remember Mikey Mukasemexi as a yellow belt kid. His sister was a little older. She might have been a green belt at the time. And, you know, he's like, he was, again, another soft demeanor, kind of goofy. You know, he has a, and it was funny. He has what I call the Asian squat to a perfection where he sits down, uh, cheeks to sneaks, yeah. squatted down, and he's like, you can't topple him, you know? Because he used to sit down and watch the class like that, and I would go by and kind of shove him on the shoulder, and he's just like... Like he's playing cards in the street, you yeah. know, in Shanghai. And it's like, <laughs> but again, and, and, you know, yeah, Mikey and his sister, original. That's ATT crazy because Paul mentioned that, and he's like, "Oh yeah, there's a, and there's that little kid who's that guy's gonna be good someday because he was doing oh, yeah. all this crazy." And he was, you know, what's funny, um, and there was another guy, Jordan Spieler, who became a junior national champ. He won Fargo for Greco. He was on the USA team for Greco Roman wrestling. But I rem- again another one that I remember as a little kid, and at the events, people was like, hey, "Man, who, who's that kid?" And I was like, "Watch." Other kids are going to cry. <laughs> Where Spieler was just mean and rough, Mikey was smooth and technical. Yeah, you know, and it was and it was funny though. They were the two ones that it was like people will look at them. So like, watch Mikey submit that kid, and then in the other side, oh, watch Jordan smash that kid up <laughs> and make him quit crying. <laughs> and they both became, you know, in their own respect. That way, you know, another guy that I think is really, every time I met him, he was very welcoming, but people don't give him the credit because he's a bigger guy, was Roger Gracie. Yeah. Roger Gracie is a big dude. He's like 6'4", 250 pounds. Um, But, I mean, technically unbelievable. And if you saw him, you know, he's in shape. But he doesn't look like Nicky Rod or Gordon Ryan, you know, sure. like all chisel muscled up. Big dude, but his technique was, is impeccable, you know? Uh, I mean. And fundamentals. All fundamentals. All basic, basic, basic. I started watching his matches uh, a few months ago. Foot Pro- sweep, hip throws. And it was like, this is what I learned as a white belt. Knee cut, and he does it perfectly. Collar pass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, call- he and, was he, and, and collar chokes. Yeah, man. He he he'd get to side control. He'd mount and he'd cross choke you. That's it. And he'd do that to everybody. everybody. And I was just like, this is what we it. learned in our first year of jujitsu. <laughs> That's it. And we're like, no, we want to do fancy stuff. No, Hodger Gracie does the basics, and he just you don't does see Hodger Gracie doing beating bolos, inverted, inverted half guard. But he's guard. doing the basics 
two high-level guys. Like, Absolutely. I've seen him swallow up Rafael Lovato. Man, look what he did to Buchecha when Buchecha was, like, the man with the gi. Ten-time world champion with the gi. A black, you know? Yeah. And Roger just came in, gave him a little hard time on the feet, and then, boom. Took him down, pass, choke. Amazing. That's it. Same fundament. And, you know, and a lot of the guys, sometimes I tease, like, oh, you know, can we learn this leg lock and this entry and this Ashi and Sangaku here? I'm like, dude, get your fundamentals right first. Yeah. You know? Understand. Yeah, it's good to know. In my opinion, you do have solid fundamentals. You can do everything else. Yeah. So... Well, dude, on that note, dude, thank you so much for stopping by. Dude, it's great to have you on the show, and um, I'm sure we'll cross paths again, man. Absolutely, man. All right, thank you so much. Thank you.